Motown USA. We'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. But before we do, we've got some things to talk about with the Heisman Trophy ceremony, all that going on with Marvin Harrison, some of the, you know, maybe reflection a little bit on the season that was. Uh, Jim Knowles uh, apparently staying in Columbus. I'm very happy about that. Uh, we've got some Ohio State men's basketball comings and goings, all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, ask us anything and then, you know, how things are going up with that team up north and both basketball and football. So let's go ahead and start with the Heisman and all of these postseason awards and whatnot. And, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr., he's a consensus All-American. Uh, he won the Blitnikoff Award by one vote, apparently. So the, the closest vote in uh, history, apparently. Uh, and then goes ahead and he ends up uh, fourth in the uh, Heisman Trophy um, ceremony and, you know, eventually, uh, you know, falling to, uh, to Jaden Daniels there who won it. Um, and I think you had the, the two West coast guys splitting the votes after that. And then Marvin Harrison as a wide receiver ended up fourth. I guess my question to you here is as re, you know, with regards to Marvin Harrison, you know, I was looking earlier today at all time, uh, seasons for wide receivers in Ohio state history. Right. And you, you have guys up there, you know, who are uh, putting up huge numbers, you know, guys like Terry Glenn and David Boston. And of course, number one in Ohio state history uh, was Jackson Smith and Jigba who put up over 1600 yards just a few years ago, obviously buoyed by, you know, a Rose bowl where he caught almost 350 yards of passes. Um, Based on the totality of this season, because I don't think you can really expect Marvin to do, you know, a whole lot in the Cotton Bowl. I don't think that's the I, – I would guess that he's probably not playing in that. Uh, where would you rank his season um, historically at Ohio State? That's difficult because – I think so too. I, mean, I think it's many, really difficult. Many great seasons and many seasons in which – Michigan was beaten on top of whatever that's, production happened over all those point. seasons. And that's my and point. therefore an opportunity to play in the Big Ten championship for some of those players. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't know if Jackson Smith and Jigba is a good example, but I mean you have plenty of other players that were able to make an impact in the Big Ten championship. Uh, you know, Paris Campbell, I think, comes to mind as one example um that Devin what, Smith right that weren't necessarily able that's that that's a very interesting pick in terms of your if you're trying to come up with candidates for players that have seasons that rank in front of Marvin Harrison Jr. so I think that speaks to the difficulty of just trying to rank or establish it as the best but I think that the fact that you can even invoke a player like Devin Smith like speaks to the fact that although what we saw was indisputable greatness this season, it wasn't necessarily the the all-time upper echelon achievement that maybe some people thought we were going to get heading into this season that would have resulted in a Heisman Trophy win. Now, right. what I will say is going into the season – Marv was projected to he was 14th in the favorite for like the Heisman voting but he was the highest position player in terms of the betting odds and I I I wrote about in the season preview for the gambling perspective that that was simply not correct 
and that he, you know, it was probably realistic that he was going to end up in New York and that ended up being the case. Um, so even though he did finish fourth, it was, I think a, a, a lot of people in Columbus expected him to be a Heisman caliber candidate this year and he didn't necessarily have that expectation I think on a national level even though a lot of people going in said he was far and away the best wide receiver in college football and probably was that even last year Mm -hmm. Um, it's just because of how much of a quarterback centric award it's become you not only see how the final results play out where five of the top six are all quarterbacks, but you also have the 13 preseason betting favorites in front of where Harrison was, including McCord himself, are all quarterbacks. So it is rather unfortunate that the award – you know, has rightly been criticized as, as developing into a award that mainly just goes to whoever's, you know, playing quarterback for either the most successful team or has the most lucrative production. I think in that sense, it's probably a bit of a saving grace this year that we got a bit of a year like what happened with Lamar Jackson, where the team doesn't necessarily uh, find itself in national championship contention or even you know i don't know if you want to call it new year six and i'm i I would think louisville probably was at least in a watchable bowl game the year that uh lamar jackson won and i imagine lsu is as well i don't know who they're playing off the top of my head to be honest but i uh you know overall it's i'm not like unsatisfied with the Heisman results. Uh, I don't really have an opinion on Penix finishing over Bo Nix. I think given the way that, you know, those two teams played each other this year, that's probably the the most fair thing that happened. But I'm sure that there's people that are just pure, you know, production or stats people that are just upset that like, you know, Bo, they thought Bo Nix was going to get it down the stretch with the momentum he had and, well, you know, and then it didn't they really just happen. But. They didn't beat Washington, and that's that's why it ended up being that way. I just think, like, if we're contextualizing what Marvin Harrison just did in 2023, um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with a couple. Well, I think there's two things. First of all, kind of what you mentioned earlier, which is that you didn't get the win over Michigan, you didn't win the Big Ten championship, right? And because you had those expectations for the team, it's not fair necessarily. But I also think that that diminishes, in some people's eyes, the achievements that guys like Marvin Harrison had. And, you know, there are definitely games where Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, he had all these incredibly consistent games where he's catching 150 yards worth of, you know, of of receiving yards, uh, getting all these touchdowns, whatever. And then you had several games where it's like less than 50 yards. And part of that is because how teams were scheming against him. And, you know, he still had an enormous impact on the game, even if he wasn't getting 150 yards receiving. But that's in contrast to a guy like, for example, like Terry Glenn, right? In 1995, Terry Glenn had 1,400 yards of receiving, uh, 1,400 receiving yards. 
one of those games was against Pittsburgh where he had over 250 yards. Right. And so that's like, that's a moment and people are like, Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Um, in, uh, in 1998, David Boston had uh, 1,435 yards, right? 217 of those yards were in a Cooper win against Michigan, which is a big deal. Um, so people remember that, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I, I like, again, he has the single season record in large part because of games against uh, Utah in the Rose Bowl, where you, you know, catch almost 350 yards of passing. Then also against Nebraska, where he had almost 250 yards passing uh, or receiving. Um, my point is, is that Marvin Harrison Jr. for all of his sustained excellence did not have a comparable game to that at least in 2023, and he didn't have a team that achieved in a way that Ohio State fans, I think, really want to attach to a narrative of excellence. And and that's disappointing, and it kind of sucks because, again, you know, talent-wise, I, I think you would put him up against any wide receiver that's ever come through Ohio State. Um, but it almost feels like it's not going to be a season that's remembered as significantly because of the team that he kind of played on. And that's – I don't know how I feel about that exactly, because I, I feel that kind of excellence deserves to be recognized. It's the same way that uh, J.K. Dobbins, right, who ran for over 2,000 yards, the only Ohio State running back to ever do that. And I don't think it's being remembered. I don't think that achievement um, is remembered in the same way that it might have had Ohio State like won a national championship or something during that year. So yeah. it's just it's just one of those things where it's just it's a lot of contextual stuff that kind of holds it back a little. I believe that Dan Hope in his recent interview with Marvin Harrison Jr., I mean, part of the reason that Marv admitted that he hasn't made a decision about whether to go pro or not yet is because one of his goals was beating that team up north, as he put it. So I think even he, in literally evaluating what he wants to do with the remainder of his career in college, if there is one in evaluating that even he feels his accomplishments are cheapened enough by not doing that, that he feels somewhat motivated to come back and write that wrong to feel better about himself and his uh, team's accomplishments or for whatever reason he has yeah to complete the story right right so i think that it's absolutely fair in that sense because even he's directly doing it we don't and mean it doesn't mean we don't appreciate him any less we've been calling him the best receiver in college football for two years right but you we understand that there are more components involved uh, in terms of getting a receiver opportunities in an offense that extend not only to who's throwing them the football or who's calling the plays for them or who else they're lining up on the field, not only with in the receiver room, but also on the opposite side of the field in terms of the defense and how many defenders on one play are planning to scheme against it. There's a lot of different variables involved that can lead to, you know, a lot of these games where we saw Marv finish with maybe like four catches for 25 yards. There were certainly Mm -hmm. a handful of those, but, you know, he did finish 
I believe the last eight games of the year with a touchdown in every game. So there was a, a degree of, of scoring consistency that, you know, this offense really absolutely needed given the, the margin of error for turnovers for the entire year was basically zero. So that, that level of consistency, I think is very much, uh, something that is going to be appreciated at the next level whenever he decides to go. Uh, I don't think that his draft stock got worse by this season. I would hope that he, you know, elects to make the best decision for himself. Obviously we would love to have him back, but if he decides that the best decision for himself is to accomplish the goals that he set for himself when he got here, and you know that I, I I would like to see him do that, and yeah. uh, I I do think that it I I would agree with his assessment. I think that you know his his story here does kind of feel incomplete in terms of not having Michigan beaten, but I don't I don't firmly attach that to. Uh, that's not the first thing at the front of my mind when I think of what Marvin Harrison Jr. did at Ohio State. Yeah, and I and I don't think it should be either. I mean, that's if you look at just statistically, I mean, what he's been able to do. I mean, he's had three games of three touchdowns. Um, you know, tied for second uh, in uh, <laughs> tied for second in most touchdowns by a wide receiver, right? Well, receiving touchdowns in a single season, and he did it twice. He had fourteen in both uh, 22 and 23. Um, he has, in, in terms of like single season uh, receiving yards, he's fourth and fifth. So uh, this past season and then the season before that are the fifth and fourth uh, best seasons at Ohio State receiving history, respectively. So like the consistency is just unbelievable. Um, obviously the talent is off the charts and you know, it, it's, it is kind of a product of who's around him and what he's been able to do on the field and all that. And he's just, he's been an incredible player. I would be, I, I don't think there's any chance in hell that he comes back, but I also think that his um, understanding of, of kind of his place in history and, and Ohio state history and, you know, wanting to, to beat Michigan. I think that's real. I think that desire is definitely real. And, you know, if you never completely shut out, um, you know, the, the possibility of something crazy happening. I don't see it, but you know, you never know. Um, I will say as a last point, it felt like he had more spectacular plays, uh, last season than this season. Like he, I would agree with that. he scored and, you know, got his production and everything, but it never, you know, it, he, he was either burning people d he was he was not like mossing people in the way that i think a lot of us like really expected he was he was making catches at really nice angles and was just really crisp and clean but he was just he was just outclassing like basically the whole season he was dominating but he wasn't you know out like just it wasn't Megatron out there. Yeah, he wasn't just like right. you know this alien who had landed on Earth and was just catching football. He wasn't posterizing but, fools, right? Yeah. So, and that's you know, I think you know from a, a fan perspective, you kind of want to see that too. That's in the selfish way, but again, overall, his career excellence um, it can't be denied. And uh, you know, 
it, it like I said, contextualizing it, it can be a little difficult when the team doesn't achieve all that you wanted to. But I think it's also important to maybe step back and go, this is still incredible. And we're lucky that we got to see a guy like that play football. Um, another thing I want to talk about real quick. So Manny Diaz um, has been hired at Duke as their head coach. And that's significant because Jim Knowles was in the running for that. And I feel like that's kind of, that's, that's a double bonus for Ohio state. You keep Knowles. Um, I, I feel like that was the only thing he was really You know, the only job he seemed like he was really going after and Manny Diaz at Penn state's gone. So I think everything worked out pretty well for Ohio state there. I would have been pretty sad to see Knowles leave, particularly uh, given the strides that the defense has made in the past couple of years. Um, uh, this feels like a project that isn't complete. I mean, it, it's still a team that can, I think, get better on defense as good as they were this past season. I feel like they can be even better than they had been. And I don't know, man. Like, I, I am excited that he's coming back. I think that's a huge deal for Ryan Day, particularly going into 2024. Uh, the When I think about what some of the differences have been between Ohio State and Alabama or Clemson in the last decade in terms of what, how did those programs generate multiple national championships versus Ohio State only getting one out of the whole Urban Meyer run? The The big thing that stands out to me is that they had coordinator consistency particularly mm-hmm. defensive coordinator consistency and you saw how Kirby Smart eventually when you know it finally was evident enough that you know the guy was not only the best coordinator in the sport but was more than ready for his own show has since gone on to lead Georgia to directly being a competitor in the same conference with Alabama and right. in much of the same fashion um same thing with Clemson and a lot of people will point to Dabo Swinney and say oh he was you know gifted quarterback play from the likes of Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence but it's also important to remember that for a very long time in a very long run Brett Venables was giving Clemson defenses for year over year that were complementing those quarterbacks in a way that they were able to go win national titles. Right. Ohio state did not every time when they, when they, I, I, the thing that I remember being the most devastated about immediately after the national championship was that Tom Herman was, was gone because we were so stoked with how the offense was able to not only gel, but, so quickly rebuild itself in wake of losing a quarterback not only once but twice and we were so optimistic about seeing uh i don't know if people were necessarily optimistic about herman staying in the aftermath of that i was in college so i was just enjoying the euphoria of winning a national championship while i was still in school sure or i should or well anyway (laughs) <laughs> being <laughs> being in school while the team wins a national championship that is what i mean to say anyway yes. uh i i'm not sure what the climate was relative to herman staying or not but i remember thinking 
it it stinks that we're losing a coordinator like that that was obviously such a a key part of the success particularly after what he did like two weeks after leaving was like Saban like called him down and was like what what did you do what did you do to us exactly (laughs) right how did you how did you screw us up and there's also the there's also the fear of like what you're going to replace somebody with right i mean it's it's not just the fact that you've got cohesiveness and consistency you know and excellence at a coaching position but it's also like you don't know exactly who's going to be coming in next and you know one of the problems ohio state had in 2015 is that you had a offensive coaching staff that was not on the same page uh you had tim beck come in and, and they just nobody gelled they had no idea what they were doing they obviously did a terrible job handling the quarterback situation and of course a lot of that's on urban too but like you know it's because you don't have a cohesive singular i think force dictating or, or kind of you know prescribing what you're going to be doing as a as a team and like if you don't have that um philosophy set you know obviously tom herman like he knew exactly what he was going to be doing like there was no there was no question there was no debate you know it was like this is how our offense is going to run and when ryan day came in you obviously saw ohio state's offense uh, evolved again but it took years for that to happen and so you know i it's interesting to me how you try to maintain that kind of cohesion because you're always going to have situations where coaches are going to want to you know, dip for, for greener pastures or for an opportunity. And, you know, I think people had this impression about Jim Knowles is that he's going to be this lifer when it comes to, you know, being a, a coordinator, but like the guy's not even 60 and he's been a head coach before. I, I don't think there's any reason to suspect that he wouldn't want to be one again. And while this year, it seems like he's going to be back for Ohio State for another ride. You never know what's going to happen in 2025. So enjoy it while you can. I'm glad he's coming back. I think he can uh, continue to create and improve uh, the Ohio State defense. And if he does, you know, mosey on for greener pastures after 2024, then maybe, you know, Jeff Halfley gets fired at BC and he can come back to Columbus. So there you go. It would be fine. Everything would work out to your point in terms of like, Oh, you, you don't know how every replacement's going to go. I mean, you don't have many replacements that immediately turn around. What is a like low point program wise for the defense? Oh no. Into a like nationally recognized top 10 unit that makes further improvements on itself in the second year. I mean, yeah. Like in terms of people like doubting like Ryan Day's ability to like put a staff together, like you can't dispute that the Knowles hire was not only a slam dunk replacement of what was a a hodgepodge situation from the previous season, if we want to call it that, but like the best hire he could have made. And, you know, even though, maybe the perception that Knowles was going to be a guy that sticks around was wrong. I mean, it seems like that's at least what's going to happen for now and getting three years of a coordinator of that caliber when, you know, you're trying to compete for national championships. That's about all you can ask for. So yeah, be, be, be grateful that it's worked out the way it has. Give the credit to him and Ryan Day uh, 
and yeah, enjoy it while it lasts, as you said. Yeah, I agree. Uh, another couple of things we want to talk about before we get to ask us anything. So first of all, Ohio State men's basketball. Again, entertaining. I'm, the thing about this team, I keep telling people, it's entertaining as hell. You're going to get games like you saw against Penn State. You come out, you have a huge lead, and then you start turning the ball over, and you start yeah, most entertaining shots. team that commits sixteen turnovers and nine that, in the and, first half, and loses ten steals and gets you know gets their pocket picked ten times. Um, the thing is, and they out rebounded Penn State. I mean, they they beat them on the glass. They were nailing it from three. I mean, over forty percent from three. Uh, but they just went cold. And and the biggest thing is, you know, the jumpers and then inside the paint, if, if Felix McPara is not being a force, if he's not getting easy buckets and Zed isn't making them fall, then they got basically nothing. So, you know, it, it's, if they can just bomb, right. And then not have a problem, then they can, they can slam the door shut on a comeback attempt like they did against Minnesota. If they're missing those shots, they're going to lose the game. And so, it's unfortunate because it's not a complete team. And I think you can kind of see that on the road in tight games where you just need buckets in the paint. But um, I don't know. I, I still, like I said, I still am excited about this team because I think they're fun as hell to watch. But I also think that you're going to get a few games like this. This is, this is not surprising to me at all. And uh, you hope it doesn't snowball. You hope that when they play UCLA here in a week, uh, take on uh, Mick Cronin's guys. Um, I think they're in Atlanta for that one. Um, that it's going to be a competitive and fun game to watch. And I think it will be. But uh, you also don't want to snowball into one of those, you know, Chris Holtman, late December, early January uh, downfalls that we've seen so many, so many times over the years. I mean, I can, I think that we're probably going to end up seeing that. I At think some that, point. I, mean, I think that we'll see, <laughs> right? you know, some, some, I think we'll see some relatively up and down play the next three weeks. And then I think we're going to get to January and you probably will see, you know, the typical turbulence that has taken place. I mean, if this, if this has been a year over year trend for this team in conference play, I think it's reasonable to expect that again. But then the other thing that I think we've seen with the exception of last year, when you know, there were a lot of injuries is, I mean, there have been a lot of injuries for the teams in you know, even the recent seasons when they've gone on these little mini tournament runs. And I think that we can, I, I don't think it's out of the question that we can end up seeing something like that again later in this year after they've gone through those trials as they typically do, just because, you know, they've, as a, as a program, they're used to that. I mean, how many times has Zed Key gone through that and he's still right. there, you know? Right. So he's the type of leader to help this team weather that storm and this team i think relative to those other ones has more unique pieces available and ability to play pace and space basketball than Mm -hmm. any of the other ones that came before it and even further than that people are already agreeing that like the potential in terms of guard play for this team is so much higher than a lot of the other teams have been in recent years. So that's, the ceiling, that's I still true. think, is extremely high for this team. And, he, I mean, they're not – look, 
I don't. I, are they going to win the Big Ten? I mean, come on. But they, <laughs> the city, but this is Northwestern's conference. We're all just you know, right. living in it. The but this is. I mean, Chris Holtman is no. Uh, what's his name from? Uh, oh my! I can't believe I'm blanking on. He's no Fram, right Fram, Fram McCaffrey. No, not no from, from Northwestern. Come on. Oh God! Yeah, no, I don't. I'm blanking. He's from too. Duke. Chris. Yeah. He's Chris. Isn't he another Chris? He might be. Oh, this is so embarrassing. I'm gonna look it up. I, I I lived in Chicago with a roommate that graduated from Northwestern. He'd kill me for forgetting this. Oh my God! Save me, Jody, please. Chris Collins. Chris Collins. How could there I forget go. that crazy man's name? We'll have to edit that out. That's fine. <laughs> He's no Chris Collins. Yeah. Uh, what were you saying oh my god i've just totally lost it because i was so disappointed with myself no, oh because good. you brought up northwestern uh because oh, right, they're right, gonna right. win the big 10 and right. ohio state isn't that wasn't a reasonable expectation but i mean i still think they're gonna be good and they can make you know the typical late february run that they've had and because of the pieces that they have the potential I mean, they're going to be fun regardless. So, like I said, the most fun team you've ever seen commits 16 turnovers. That's right. Well, and to your point, though, like, especially the guard play. I mean, guys like Bruce Thornton, I don't, they haven't had to do like Bruce Thornton ever, like in Chris Holman's tenure that I can really think of. I mean, from that position, like that, that's something he brings something new to the team. They've had guys like Battle and, you know, and Roddy Gale Jr., but they, I don't think they've had a Bruce Thornton. And so, that adds another dimension to the team where again it's entertaining it's interesting and the di- how dynamic they are in terms of the role players is is something that i don't think you know we've seen from a chris holtman team in a minute and that's you know it's enjoyable to watch and like i said you're gonna get games like this it sucks but i also think you'll get a lot of really uh, exciting games against really good teams where Ohio State does some crazy unexpected stuff. Here's the other thing. They're still scoring a crap ton of points, right? This is not a team that is is passive on the offensive end. So even by that standard, I think they're they're going to be fun to watch. So that's what's going on with Ohio State sports here in the past week or so. Uh, we're going to get to ask us anything. We're going to get some other larger NCAA stuff and some larger Columbus stuff. But before we do that, we're going to remind you that we're sponsored by One Medical Let's hear from them. The best defense is a good offense, and that goes for your health, too. That's why One Medical, the modern doctor's office, is changing the playbook for primary care. With four C-Bus locations and 24-7 virtual care, One Medical helps Buckeye stay healthy. And the relationship with OSU's Wexner Medical Center makes it easy to get access to specialists. To get your 30-day free trial, visit onemedical.com and use the code TRY1MCOL. That's T-R-Y, the number one, M-C-O-L. All right, that was One Medical, our sponsor. Let's go ahead and get to ask us anything, which you can do by sending us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. Let's start with Eric here, who just wants to know, how do you feel about Ohio State's bowl opponent being Missouri? I would have preferred Georgia, Florida State, or Oregon. I feel like with the opponent being Missouri, there's no way that Ohio State can win in terms of the national narrative. If they win, it's Missouri, nobody cares. But if they lose, then haha, you lost another one too an sec team so what is our perspective on this yeah it's certainly the most i I don't want to say the most vanilla missouri like 
SEC team they could have played, but I feel like if they do beat Missouri, then the SEC will be like, uh, it doesn't really count. Yeah, they're not really yeah. an SEC team. Oh, you that's that's as far south of the Mason Dixon line as you're gonna creep in to try to beat that's us, right. Ohio State. Like come right. on. Like Well, no. and not only that, but so you know, Ohio State starts out as a favorite in this game and then all of a sudden it's like, oh well, you know, Fleming's not gonna be there and Kyle McCord's not gonna be there. And now Ohio State is an underdog in the Cotton Bowl. Um I you know it, to me, it's one of those things where obviously I want Ohio State to win, but you don't even really know who the quarterback's going to be, right? Like nobody's really sure. I will say, healthy. beating an SEC team with a quarterback named Lincoln would be really funny. Oh my god! Yes, yes, that would be. Oh my god! I could write fifty articles on that premise alone. Yes, that would be that would be manna from heaven for John uh, Ginter. That, what's um, that? Is, is there? What's that? is that there's a Ulysses grant shirt on the on the 11 warriors store isn't there? <laughs> oh no we've got it's the sherman shirt oh yeah that's sherman uh, that's right out of conference okay. yeah. which is pretty there great. you go yeah. i've actually okay. campaigned for a ulysses s grant shirt um and i think we could we could swing that maybe we should actually because i think he won a couple in missouri during the civil war i think one of the more unheralded u.s presidents that's yeah, that's true um, you know what, as a human being, I'm not even going to get into it, but as a human being, uh, one of our best, like humans as a president, he was, he was a legit dude. Um, not the best president in the world, but you know, a good human. I just said uh, underrated. I didn't say one of the best. Well, that's fair. All right. So real quick. So this is from Tony, uh, who says this is a Bon Voyage Honda McCord. So this is a reference to our headline uh, from last week. We do want to talk about this real quick. So he says, you guys are usually great, but I really hate your derisive headline. The kid has been beaten up uh, by the fans and the media more than enough. I personally think you're out of line here. I will not stop reading your articles, et cetera, but this seems a little unprofessional to you or to hit to me is what he says. Um, I think that's fair, honestly. It, that was a mistake, and I think um, in general, you know, we try to do a little bit better than that, and you know, we we I think we screwed that one up. So the thing is, man, is like I don't think that Kyle McCord, and I don't think George thinks this either. I don't think he's like a terrible person for leaving or anything like that. I think he's making um, you know a, a decision that he feels is important, and I don't think we wanted to come across as saying that like. You know, because he's no longer of Ohio State, we can trash the guy or anything like that. I don't think that was the intent at all. Um, it will be interesting, I think, if he ends up at Nebraska for uh, actually a lot of different reasons, particularly about how uh, they're going about looking at Dale, Dylan Rayola at this point, who I guess is committed but not fully committed. Um, but, yeah, you don't want to bash an Ohio State player, you know, past, present, or future, um, unless they're like a really crazy, you know, person like arch leader or something like that uh and so yeah i i think that was a mistake on our part and um yeah we're we're gonna try to make sure that we uh you know put it, things in perspective properly and and not you know hate on a guy just because he might be making a decision that's difficult for uh ohio state because we have a question here from pat and i think this is interesting and i so i was asked this question by a coworker actually in the aftermath of, of Kyle and, and Julian Fleming, uh, you know, hitting the portal and whatnot, which is um, the question is, and th like I said, this is almost verbatim what I've heard uh, at work, which is, is it just business for a player to enter the portal and not to play in the final game? Or 
did one side coach McCord say, well, if you're doing that, then I'm doing this. In other words, if Kyle McCord wants to leave, did the coach say you're not starting or did a coach say you're not starting? And then Cord said, well, then I'm leaving, et cetera. Here's, here's the thing. I think people are surprised by the idea that a player would not play in a bowl, even if they've hit the the transfer portal. But honestly, like that's, that's kind of just the norm. I don't, I don't think it's, there's a situation where there's some kind of conflict between player or coach, or there's a, you know, a player saying like, well, you know, I'm doing the portal because I don't think this is going to work out or whatever. And there's some like personal beef. I just think because of when the portal opens and I think it opened what on December 4th, something like that. I think that's the first day it was officially open. When you're looking at recruiting and preparation for bowls and all this other stuff, you're not going to enter the portal immediately and then start preparing um, for whatever bowl game you might be a part of. And that's, that's why, for instance, you haven't seen any Michigan players in the portal, right? Like, cause they still have a bowl of, of, you know, importance, uh, a game of importance to get ready for. But if they lose that game against Alabama, you're going to see a ton of Michigan players in the portal the next day. Right. So it's not about, I don't think it's about any personal beef. I don't think it has anything to do with, you know, like, you know, a confrontation between player and coach. I, I think it's just how it's done because of when the portal opens. I don't think it has anything. And I don't think there's anything deeper to it than that. I think there was a report that like they met like McCord, his dad, like I was, I was alluding to the fact that I thought Derek McCord had some influence on the situation, and I think that they'd said there was a meeting over the weekend between Day and McCord's dad in terms of commitment. Um, like, yeah, and and maybe season. that was a situation. I mean, and maybe that was a situation between like McCord and 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 Ryan Day. But I guess my point is, is that in general, like with Julian Fleming, for example. I, I just don't think that there is a situation where it's like the reason why players aren't playing in the bowl is because of some personal beef or something like that. I, I, I think, think that's that's going to be the case for every player who is on a team that's going to a bowl. I think it's They're not different be playing for, that team. for a quarterback specifically, but all the other positions, and I, 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 I do agree. And it's, we, you have to remember that like in terms of like being, if you're a fan and you're upset that a player is like dipping out before the bowl game or something like, Oh, like in terms of whatever they owe or not, it's important that you brought up the market because you have to remember that, you know, even as they may have something to play for here, there may be an equally talented receiver at another school that's already out of bowl season that has the opportunity to go to the portal. And then the team that, you know, the school that is looking to just add talent right away that has a, a role available that needs a feature guy for the next year. Right. There's already candidates available that, you know, someone that it is at Ohio State that is talented but isn't getting a shot but wants to be ready to go, they should not feel threatened or bad about trying to capitalize on the moment to put themselves in a position to, you know, get the most out of their own brand and find the most success for themselves. If they don't think they're going to find it at Ohio state. Yeah. It's I, I something think, that you want to do quickly. I basically. just think it's different for quarterbacks, particularly ones that 
you know, felt even by their own admission that they had earned, you know, the leadership role on the team. Um, It's to, you know, to be operating within that position and, you know, like giving pregame speeches to the team and stuff. And then, you know, just leaving in the middle of a season. I don't play on that team, but if I play, but I've played on football teams and if the quarterback opted to not play the postseason when they had the option to, it would it would leave a bad taste in the in the mouth of many people on the team, myself included. So I imagine even though that there are players that understand the decision he's taking, there's probably also people that are gonna be playing on the team next year that were wondering if McCord was also going to be there next year after everything they went through within this season that are like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, that's, that just happened. He just decided to leave because the reaction from the team was the team was surprised he was leaving. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a complicated situation and it's new one that, you know, not only the team and the staff, but we as fans have to navigate in terms of feelings in this world of college football where you can just separate entirely and move on, like, within a few days uh, in spite of everything that has happened. Um, so it's it's a crazy and tumultuous sport, but, I mean, we just spent – a whole bunch of the earlier segment talking about the coaching carousel relative to assistance. I mean, right. there's, there's just turnover <laughs> all the time. That's but, right. And that's, and that's just the nature of college football now. I yep. mean, that's, you know, and, and Ryan day has even said that, you know, it's like, you, whether or not you like the portal, it's a fact of life. Like that's just that it is what it is. Um, speaking of the portal, this is from Ken. I hope day gets a dual threat quarterback need that in today's college football. Why is day so conservative? It needs to be more creative. His style of ball is becoming boring. A couple things. Air Nolan, 2024. <laughs> well, air Nolan, I don't think is going to be the, the dual threat quarterback that some people might be hoping for. I think he's very good, but he's I think a track he, star. He is. He is. Uh, but if you look he at just his needs stats, Ryan day to teach him how to throw the football, he did it with yeah. CJ Stroud. And if you look at guys. his stats though, and the way he plays in high school, he is not, he is not a guy who loves to run the football, um, which is fine, but he's saving his legs for the big time. <laughs> That's right. Uh, no, it's, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll have air Nolan, uh, between the twenties or like, you know, from 20 to 20, and then you'll put in Devin Brown in the red zone and then he'll just do the wildcat. There, there's no way that a guy that runs track the way that he does is going to play like CJ Stroud did the first. No, I think, I think he'll be more mobile. And the other thing is, is and that the th- you one just thing, need the threat, that's all that well, you need. And one thing you do notice with Aaron Nolan is that he, I mean, if you look at his highlights, he really does love the play action. They, they run that a ton with him. And I think that would be, you know, a critical part. I would hope that would be a critical part of his game at Ohio state. But regardless, Henderson's zone read would be quite fun. That would be sick. I would love that. Um, as far as day be conservative, I think some of it was, I think some of it was limitations to the offensive line. Um, but I also think that, you know, he, he did turtle you know, a little bit against like Michigan, for example. I mean, you, you did not get as creative as he could have been. And, and part of that is because Michigan's interior defensive line was just annihilating Ohio State's defense or offensive line. But 
I don't know, man. I mean, I, I, I do think that in situations like, um, you know, big games like Mission, you got nothing to lose at this point for Ryan Day. You just kind of got to roll the dice and get creative. And I don't think he was creative enough. And I, I hope that he kind of learns from that and decides that he's going to, uh, you know, maybe do some crazy stuff against Missouri in the Cotton Bowl. Because at that point, you know, who the hell cares, right? Like, <laughs> there's no point. There's no point not just, like, doing the most insane crap possible because it, you've got nothing to lose at that at that juncture. How did the last New Year's Six game go for Ohio State? You know, I mean, it's it's – but you was don't that win. one crazy? It was crazy, but you don't win unless you just start throwing bombs. You know what I mean? Like, and they had to do that. Ohio State had to do that because they were down, right? Like, so I don't know. Could be. Like I I'm mean, saying. but I mean, to that. I mean, this school's so spoiled with receiver talent. I mean, I could very easily see this next game being, you know, a coming out party for. I mean, it's. Here's the other thing we forget about, you know, it what that game wasn't just Jackson Smith and Jigba catching 347 yards and three touchdowns. <laughs> right. CJ Stroud threw for 576 <laughs> yards in that game, which is that doesn't even seem like a real number. So like I want to believe that, like you know, Jaden Ballard and Carnell Tate are going to have this big coming out party against Missouri, yeah. but like. I want to believe, you know, Lincoln stuck it to the south once. I want to believe lightning is going to strike twice. I don't Uh, know if Devin Brown is going to be slinging it. I don't think so either. But, you know, maybe Tristan Jimmy or somebody is going to come out and kick ass. Uh, All right. This is from Mac. Real quick. uh, So Mac um, sent us the the question and comment about his, uh, his daughter, Scarlett. Uh, sent some pictures along with this last week and just the most adorable little kid ever. So that again, congrats to you, man. That's freaking awesome. Uh, you know, having a kid is, is truly a joy. And you know what? I, I will say this, I'm going to add this and I'm going to say this publicly. And I've told people this privately, like, you know, in my job, I see a lot of young parents and things like that. And I always tell them this because I feel like nobody told me this when, my wife and I had had you know our kid. The first month really sucks, and the reason why the first month or two sucks so bad is not just because you don't get any sleep and you know you're constantly worrying about screwing something up. It's that really young children, infants, cannot really emote. They can cry, they can crap themselves, and they can eat, and that's about it. And so. All that stuff where it's like, oh, they're holding my hand and they're smiling and giggling. That doesn't happen for like a month and a half. So for the first month and a half, you feel like you suck. You feel like you're the worst person in the world, that everything you do is wrong. You're getting no positive feedback from your kid. And it just it is miserable. And then eventually, you know, like the eyes of the, you know, of the infant start to develop to the point where they can actually see you know, the, the people around them and they respond to you positively and they smile and laugh when you're there. And that is the best feeling in the world. But my point is to young parents, especially uh, parents who have just, you know, had a kid, it, it is not you. You are not a bad parent. You're not a bad person. Uh, if you feel like, you know, things are just going really poorly in that first month and a half, because it's, that's just, to me, that's normal and it's okay to go, 
you know, this kid is just, it's not responding to me at all. And then eventually they will, and it'll be great and everything will be fine. But that first month and a half is really bad because you just don't get any positive feedback from your kid. Um, but once you get that, it's, it's great. It's gravy. So I just want to put that out there. I think people need to be aware of that because that is really difficult. Um, also real quick, this is actually a legit question for Mac. Um, uh, JT finished the regular season with four sacks and 35 pressures. So that's a, that seems, <laughs> that seems a little incongruous, right? That seems a little off. Um, how many times was he held and it was actually called? I don't know, but not a lot. And I know everybody complains. Well, he got, about he got held quite a bit. I think he got held in the Michigan game for sure. And, oh, he uh, got tackled in the Michigan game. There right. was once I think there was like a third down pass that um, uh, McCarthy had where he essentially got like he was they 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 horse collared him to keep him on the ground. And look, I don't know if that was like that kind of stuff was the difference in the game, but it's. I don't know at what point as a fan I can go, I can start complaining about the refs. You know what I mean? Like, because everybody doesn't get holy calls. That's a constant thing. But man, it felt it. I'm with you, man. It felt like towards the end of the season, both him and and Sawyer were just not getting calls. And it's, it's really weird because sometimes guys, you know, defensive uh, linemen in particular get to the point where they're notable enough where they will get those calls, right? Like Chase Young got those calls because the assumption was that if he wasn't at the quarterback, he must have been getting held. And I don't think that uh, JT and, and Sawyer were at that point last year where they had that kind of credibility with the refs. And it sucks because they were doing incredibly well at the end of last season or at the end of this season. Um, and I don't know, man. I, I, we'll see what happens uh, with Ohio State defensive linemen in the future with that. But I think that's a, a, a you know, a smart thing to point out. Uh, last, I mean, I think the last couple of years, honestly, the Michigan game, they've like gotten away with holding at Ann Arbor, like you know, pretty egregiously. And I don't, I'm unashamed to complain about that. But uh, yeah, I, I do think that JT got held quite a bit this year. I do think yeah. the 36 hurries like speaks to what we were talking about early in the season in terms of when we like had Jones on and we we're like, oh, is the are the hurries going to necessarily turn into more sacks as the season goes on? And Jones was like, eh, from maybe, maybe not. <laughs> right. And it was yeah. and maybe. it was not. And he and it you know it turned out to be smoke in terms of like oh like we we think the pressure that they're getting is actually going to you know pay off in the long term. It really did not. I mean, four sacks. I think relative to the season he had last year does feel like kind of a letdown. Um, but yeah, you know, he. I agree. You know, I I I still would like to see him come back as well, and I think that he could have really, you know good season for this team next it'll be his third one under Knowles and at that point they'll be pretty well versed but I think what he you know as the defense like tried to go more conservative this year um, I think probably Tui Molau and Sawyer were probably hurt relative to sack totals by not having additional blitzers coming with them on more frequent pass downs so i uh i i wonder if next year 
you know, I wonder if there's been a bit of a Goldilocks effect in terms of, okay, we were too aggressive in the first year. We were too conservative in the second year. Now we'll settle into a nice medium where we're, we're generally, you know, playing to not let teams get the sticks, but there's more of a mix of blitzes and stuff that is more conducive to generating sacks on, you know, maybe perhaps earlier downs than third down uh, as we see, you know, going into next season. So I, I hope JT comes back. I'll, but I would hopefully expect a higher sack total than what we saw uh, this season. If he does. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Last one here. This is from Jen. Uh, AKA Jenny Koob on the forums. Uh, longtime listener, first time emailer. I'm gearing up for the long and bleak football offseason, but wanted to ask Tis the season, uh, when is it appropriate to put up Christmas decorations and when is it appropriate to remove said decorations? This is so funny because somebody asked us this about Halloween decorations too. <laughs> yeah. Well, Halloween, Halloween can stay up all year round, but with Christmas decorations, um, I, I am of the opinion that if you're going before Thanksgiving, you are a bad person. Soon, day of Thanksgiving, day after, fine, put them up. I do not. Approve I don't know of about them. bad person, but you've you've been like compromised by the corporations running That's advertisements right. since before That's Thanksgiving. Right. You talked about that Walmart ad. I remember that it started getting ran like even before. Oh my like, god, it was in like September. I I heard it when I was like in in town for uh dubgate oh, that's and right, I, heard for dubgate, yeah. I was like oh my god and they're literally the way they're selling it is like uh you know it's it's not even thanksgiving yet but it's it's, right. it's getting near the time you know we just can't it's help like, ourselves yeah i hate that crap yeah wow. look let's have don't a cut your tree line. down december 1st you know yes. follow a calendar you know go go get an advent calendar because that's the trendy thing now and right. you know whether you want to fill it with wine or chocolate or or I, I know the trend. The other trend a was wine like books. Advent calendar. I've not heard of a wine advent calendar. Oh, they with these these did these advent degenerates. I I saw people <laughs> on TikTok. There's like there's like couples that are like individually wrapping like books for their partners, and they get like a oh, new God. book every every day of the advent. It's it's like crazy the things that people. I don't do even. Now. I refuse to do Elf on a Shelf. I'm not even going to do that one. But even the ad, even buying an advent calendar that's like that's not even buying the Christmas present for like yourself or the person. That's but literally you know just another another corporate win for the the greedy holiday gremlin. Of but here's America. the deal. At least it's during the season, and and that's my point. If it's if it's after Thanksgiving, I'm cool with it. Now, taking down decorations, I th- I give people a little bit more leeway on that, simply because there isn't a ton going on in January. So if you want to leave it up for like maybe the first week of January, I have no problem with that. I think that's fine. Week or two of January, that's cool. But if if you consider yourself a redneck, you're you don't ever have to take them down. That's right. That's right. Because you're just celebrating living on the you know the redneck Riviera and you can do whatever you want. Um, but yeah, man, like I I give people a little bit more buffer after Christmas, but for me, there's a hard hard line. Uh, before thanksgiving to which you do not put up that stuff because i I think you enjoy thanksgiving enjoy it and then before that enjoy halloween and before that enjoy labor day like let's just keep things in their appropriate place that's all i think i i think you play it uh, like the you know the groundhog 
you know, if the groundhog sees their shadow, it's like, oh, okay, we got to get these things out. If, six if it's more si- weeks. If it's six weeks, it's like, all right, within the within the allotment of window that the groundhog has given us, we can we can take these decorations down. But yes, I I in my experience growing up in the Midwest, I always thought, you know, I'm never going to criticize a, a not like holiday lights that stay up after Christmas while I still expect to see snow because yeah, the yeah, aesthetic yeah. is so pleasant. It's like yeah, if you re- if you complain about seeing holiday lights against way it's like we we got to deal with this unpleasant weather until like at least probably early March. Like we might as well, you know, see let, let yeah, it be pretty outside. Yeah. I'm cool with that. I think that's a I think that's a a well-reasoned take. Um so that's Eska saying keep sending those into dubcast at 11warriors.com. Let's get out of here on a couple things. First of all, I don't know what the hell's going on with Michigan basketball. Uh I there you know John Howard, there's there's been a lot over the past couple of years. Uh, you know, obviously you've got him swinging on dudes. Now he's, they're he's rumors. internalized his grief. He's no longer attacking other coaches in the Big Ten, and he's now attacking his own staff. That's right. Yes. Uh, yeah. That the, that is the rumor, right? Allegedly uh, going after his own staff. Some people have said there's no truth to that. Some people have said that maybe there is. Who knows? Some I don't people know what tied that... to Michigan have said there's no truth to that. Right, so we don't really know what the uh, what's going on with that. I will say that uh, pretty much all that Michigan has officially said is no comment. Um, but you know, I mean, who knows at this point? I do know that Michigan basketball in general is not doing very well and has not done very well um, in the past couple seasons. So it's weird because this is a guy that I think a lot of people. Um, you know, for, for the first couple seasons thought was just like this guy who's going to come in and, you know, carry on uh, what Michigan basketball had been doing for many years. Right. And just, it has not been the case in the past couple. So um, I don't know. It, it's interesting to see where this goes, but I think it's another example of, of Michigan sports in general, kind of just being out of pocket in the past couple of years and Michigan administration just kind of shrugging their shoulders at it. I mean, Jawan Howard was the perfect guy for the NIL era, right? Yeah, I mean, one of the all-time, so, right? one of the all-time great, like getting caught like in a in a pay-to-play college scandal. <laughs> people yeah. was was going to be great for this, you know, and uh, it turns out that I I just I wonder how much Martelli has really been like the the key crux of like whatever success they've had while he's been there mm-hmm. um i'm i'm hopeful that if you know howard's no longer there within a few years or within the year uh you know i i just hope that john beeline is enjoying retirement let me just say <laughs> that no, I think I think Beeline is uh, is probably maybe savoring this a little bit. It's it's weird too because you know it doesn't feel like that long ago when Michigan's you know going to like the Sweet Sixteen and the you know the national championship and all this other stuff, and now it's like they. I mean, are they even a tournament team? It's it's just it's wild to see um, how that's progressed. I mean, they were an NIT team last year. Um, One sweet so, 16 run, let them forgive the first punch that Jawan Howard threw. Imagine what right. it could do. Imagine what a sweet 16 run could do for someone <laughs> like Chris Holtman. There you go. Who who does not swing on dudes. Um, and then finally. That we know we, about. <laughs> that we know. That's right. <laughs> 
Uh, well, given his success in the tournament, I feel like, uh, you know, or lack thereof, I don't know that he can get away with much. Um, so real he quick, puts we those would... pit vipers on and, you know, he, he <laughs> oh, just well, turns into an animal. Anything could happen. Um, we would be remiss if we didn't get out of here by talking briefly about the Columbus crew winning their third MLS cup, putting that third star on their Jersey, uh, beating LAFC at home two to one. I was at work <laughs> during the game and we had it on all the uh, computers. We were watching it on foxsports.com and it was a banger, man. It was, it was a fun game. The first half better than the second half, but they played really, really well. Uh, they played their style of soccer, which was really exciting, dynamic, fun to watch. That second goal with the through ball was just one of the you know best passes I've seen in a very long time. Uh, it was great. And, you know, this is with all the crap with freaking pre-court and all this other stuff and not even knowing if the team would be in the city. Um, it's it's incredibly rewarding, I think for them to to get this win you know they they won in 2020 i think a lot of people would say that was tainted because of the covid year or whatever but this is legit they beat a really good team they had to fight back and and earn it during the uh the playoffs um you know especially against your in-state rivals so this is just an awesome awesome win for a lot of reasons and i'm, I'm pretty pumped i think it's great yeah i think uh for save the crew this was probably a lot more vindicating than even you know hell yeah man was uh this and was uh what are you gonna say well, well i was gonna say for people you know maybe you are not a huge soccer fan maybe you just know about the crew and you're like all right well okay they got their new stadium all that stuff it's every bit of it's worth it at this point. And I've, I've been out to a game at the new stadium and it's unbelievable if you haven't, and maybe you're just like a casual fan or whatever. I'm just telling you, man, go like, if you're a fan of sports in general and you're within spitting distance of Columbus, Ohio, you got to check out one of these games. They're a fun team to watch. It's an incredible environment and atmosphere. And, uh, yeah, they they earned it, man, and it's 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 cool to see. It's really cool yeah. to see. I went I went to a crew game back when it was the Fortress before they got the the new uh, stadium. Yeah, the Death and, Star. Yeah, <laughs> right. And uh, it was uh, yeah. I, I remember getting on the jumbotron with you know like they they would put like tweets from like fans that were at the game up there, and I remember <laughs> just putting like the wow, soccer is cool. No, yeah. no, it was so oh, it was so much more like douchebaggy than like that. It was like you know chilling, at, <laughs> chilling at the fortress, like hoping the, the crew cattle come swing by or like so. Oh, it, was so it was so ridiculous. My friend and I that were there were dying. So good good times at the crew game you know they 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 put on a good show out there uh but yeah. of course i live in miami so as far as i know you know as soon as messi got to town we won the the mls cup down that's there. right <laughs> well i, mean, I gotta be honest that free kick he had to win and like his first game was like the best moment of the season so i mean you know well, i'm happy for the crew but it's like you know down here, it's just messy, 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 messy. And there's nothing wrong with that because he's the greatest player to ever live. But, um, yeah, I don't know. For this moment in time, I'm pretty stoked uh, for the crew, and, and we'll see what happens in the future. They got a lot of cool stuff coming towards them now because they they won that. They get to participate in some, uh, some like, Champions Leagues and some other stuff, so that's going to be cool to watch. So, again, shout-out to them. If you haven't seen them live in person, go do it. It is a hell of a good time. Um, 
And, uh, you know, it's it's Columbus sports, so that's always good. So that's the Dubcast for this week. We will talk about oh so many more things uh, next time. Ohio State basketball, football. Oh, I'm sure there will be all kinds of drama with the portal. We'll get into all of that. Uh, but until then, I'm Johnny. I'm George. And we'll see you next week. Take care, folks.